Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is FSU week. I feel like we should have the Seminole War chant playing in the background right now. Every time it's Miami FSU week, that's what you hear whenever you're on campus at Miami. At least that's the way it was for many, many years. Just blaring through the speakers, getting Miami ready to play their biggest rival. Uh, exciting times, except this isn't a very good FSU team. This is probably one of the worst FSU teams that I've seen in quite a while. Spoke to a couple of different people. One who, one guy who covers the team, Chris Nee from 247 Sports. And, of course, Charles Fishbein, who's been on the show before, uh, works for Elite Scouting Services. And from a talent perspective, this is probably one of the worst FSU teams offensively that he's seen. And... Uh, just sort of going to be an interesting game. I got to see if Miami, how Miami's going to sort of approach it. They're at 11 and a half point favorite going in. But we're going to talk about FSU a little bit later. We're going to break down the game a little bit more. But I wanted to start the show with the Canes win over Louisville. They're 2-0 and now. Impressive win on the road. 47-34 on national TV. Uh, they're going to be on national TV again, of course, this week against Florida State. But a nice way to sort of really grab everyone's attention. They're ranked number 12 now in the AP poll. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit slanted because you don't have any Big Ten teams in there. But all in all, just uh, pretty impressive performance, especially on offense. So many explosive plays. You had the two 75-yard touchdowns uh, to start the third quarter where really Rhett Lashley, I thought, uh, exposed Louisville's defense and just with brilliant play calling, running the same formations, getting guys lined up, running the motion, doing the same sort of things where you get the defense to bite on something and you call the perfect play call and it's an easy touchdown. Really shows you just how smart Rhett Lashley is and, and then also probably how incompetent Louisville's defense was. Uh, Mike Zimmerman is on the show with me, our producer. Mike, I know you're a diehard Canes fan. I got to imagine that this start has you feeling good, although there's certainly some things on the defensive side of the football that are a little concerning. What were your takeaways from Miami's win over Louisville, and how are you sort of feeling this week? Well, I, I'm like you mentioned, I'm excited because of what we saw against Louisville. But we've seen this so many times where Miami's had a good showing. I mean, we saw last year against Louisville. They, you know, they ran riot on offense and then just fell off after that. Now again, that was a different offense coordinator, different scheme. Yes, I understand that, but I, I, I'm trying to pump the brakes a little. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just to, just to you know temper the expectations. But from what we've seen so far, uh, you know, certainly a lot better. And I think the thing that's caught my eye, and I'm sure a lot of Hurricane fans as well, is just the tempo. Where it's, you know, there were so many times during that game where I saw, uh, you know, uh, an offensive lineman run down the field and like pick up, you know, whoever it was maybe it was like Knighton or, or Cam Harris, and like say, let's go. You know, we gotta, you know. Get, get the next play going where everybody seems to be on the same page where it's like once that play is over, boom, get to the line, snap the ball. And, and it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, because everybody seems to be on the same page, um, you know, whether, whether, they, whether it's been effective or not, which it has been. But even if it wasn't, you can kind of say everybody's on the same page here. Everybody knows their assignment. 
everybody has instilled in their head, go, 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 go. And I think that's what Rhett Lashley's main focus was, is just get everybody on the same page and we'll work at the kinks later. And I think we kind of saw that in the UAB game where it was first game, new offense. We're, we're going to slowly get this thing going. There were, some, there were some hiccups, but then once we got to the Louisville game, it was almost like, okay, full speed ahead now. Everybody's on the same page. Just, you know... I mean, we saw how effective they were, especially with with throwing the ball more so with the running backs and tight ends. I think I texted you during the game where it was like the the pass game is kind of going more through the running backs and tight ends, less so the receivers. So I think there's a lot of exciting things to, to talk about and a lot of things to be excited about. But I do think there are some not concerns, but things to watch for going in the future. No doubt, and and you know you mentioned that let's start with the passing game first of all. Derek King, better day throwing the ball down the field. He was seven of fourteen uh, for two hundred twenty-one yards and three touchdowns on on passes ten yards downfield or longer. He was four of ten on those passes in the opener against UAB. So yes, and and obviously the tight ends were much more involved. The first play of the game, you get the ball in the hands right away of Brevin Jordan. So I think that was super encouraging that. You know, after after kind of needing a half against UAB to get that going, you know, immediately it was like, hey, we're going to feature our best pass catcher, our best playmaker at the receiver slash tight end position and, and get the ball in the hands of Brevin Jordan. But your bigger point, I think, you know, Miami's offense's ability to counterpunch. You know, Louisville had a few long touchdown drives in the second half, was able to move the football better. And instead of just sort of like, falling apart, you know, which is what we've seen this Miami team do in the past when when the defense gives up points. It's like the offense was really leading the charge in, in this Louisville game. They were the guys that were sort of, you know, responding uh, to, to sort of the negative moments. And I think that's the most encouraging sign. And Manny Diaz talked about it on his press conference uh, Monday, how really after that 74-yard pass to Will Mallory was wiped out by the false start penalty, how that was sort of the perfect example in his eyes of where this team is and how they've improved because they had a third and 14 deep in their own territory. Louisville drops eight in coverage and De'Eric King throws a bullet to the sideline to Mark Pope, converts, picks up 31 yards, and you're just like, wow, when was the last time we saw that happen with this Miami offense? Um, So they didn't run the football as well as they wanted to. I think Louisville had eight guys in the box quite a bit. They were bringing an extra safety in, so they were just kind of outmanned in terms of numbers uh, and blocking. But overall, I mean, one sack, Derrick King really wasn't pressured that often. Um, I think the offensive line is better in some ways. But, um, you know, it just uh, overall for me, uh, my takeaway was 47 points. You know, it's like they, they can put points on the board. And, and the big aspect is a kicker, Jose Borregales. Anytime you cross the 50-yard line, as De'Ara King said, they're in field goal range. I mean, Borregales showed off that leg strength, 57-yarder. And, you know, he told us in, 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 in the Zoom meeting we had yesterday, Tuesday, and as we record this Wednesday morning around 11.15, um, that, you know, he can make it from 70 yards out. Now, I don't think Manny Diaz will ever give him that opportunity, but – the fact that he has the leg and the capability to kick it from that far just shows you that, uh, you know, they, they have a weapon that they just didn't have last year. And that totally changes the play calling. We've talked about that before on the podcast. But to have a kicker who can make four field goals and, and make 40 and 50 yarders with ease uh, puts Miami really on a different level because you can you can get points in a lot of different ways. And, and that was something that was certainly lacking last year. Huge addition for the Hurricanes, and I think we finally got a chance to see what that strength was with Borregales. 
On the flip side of the ball, defensively, there were a lot of concerns. And, and Mike, I, I want you to ask a couple questions of, of what you what's kind of most on your mind, but I'm going to give my evaluation of the game against Louisville first. Um, look, 10 tackles for loss, three sacks. I thought the pressure up front was fine. Whenever Louisville tried to throw the ball, there were guys that were able to apply pressure. But really the biggest problem that Miami had on run defense when they gave up over 200 yards rushing to Louisville was the fact that they weren't setting the edge. And, you know, one thing that Blake Baker and Manny Diaz talked about is, you know, when you got Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, two great pass rushers, they're also not used to playing in, in some of the scheme that Miami runs. Um, they're, they're coming from different programs. And I think they're still sort of adjusting to what that's like. And then your safeties and linebackers. I mean, you, you have some guys at the at the linebacker position that are still sort of trying to figure it out. You know, um, Bradley Jennings, your starting middle linebacker, uh, had one tackle in this game. That's not the way it should normally be. I just think guys were out of position in some run fits because they weren't setting the edge right. Uh, running backs were just getting out. Uh, Louisville's running backs were just getting out and getting through there. And then... Uh, on pass defense, you know, they didn't do a great job either. Uh, you go back and you look at Cunningham's numbers for Louisville. I, I put this in the in my, uh, not the story that I did with the grades this week for the Athletic, but uh, but the Florida State breakdown. Cunningham, I think, did not was not pressured on 26 passes by Miami. On, of the, the ones that he threw, 26 times he didn't have pressure. When he did have pressure, I think he was like 3 of 10, something like that in the game. Um but when he 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 was uh, that's when he was pressured. When he wasn't pressured, he was twenty three or twenty six. So I mean, he just he was sort of eating Miami alive, and a lot of that was off of the play action, was off of sort of Louisville's threat to run, where Miami's cornerbacks were kind of just sitting back and allowing a lot of the underneath stuff. So you know, some things to, that are sort of concerning, I think for sure, going into uh, this game against Florida State, who has a better defense than Louisville, a better front seven anyway, on paper. Hey, we've got more show for you, but we're going to take a break, come back with more Wide Right in a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mike, what what questions do you have, man? I've been talking for rambling here for a few minutes. What what questions do you have going uh, after this Cardinals game and going into the FSU game? Well, I have, I guess, one, one, one observation and one question. The observation is, it almost seems like they were playing a prevent defense. Like, I know, I know they weren't right, but it, it almost seems like if they couldn't get a tackle for a loss or get pressure on Cunningham, it was going to be at least a five-yard gain for Louisville. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether or not that's because Louisville did a good job of, of spreading the field and giving space to everybody. But it almost seemed like Miami was just all over the place and there was just so much space everywhere behind the front four. And I, I don't know whether or not that's just because that was the scheme they were playing against Louisville or it's just because that some guys on defense don't know what they're doing and they don't know their assignments and they're out of position. I don't know any of that. That's just an observation and, and I would hope the coaching, the defensive coaching staff looks at that and, and, and tries to, to figure out how can we close down the space 
because you're, you're going to face a lot more spread offenses in college football nowadays, especially with Cle- uh, Clemson coming up after the Florida State game, and they spread the, uh, spread the field as good as anybody in the country. So I, I think that's one observation I saw. The question for you, I think, is we kind of talked about DJ Ivy after the UAB game, saying, like, you know, at, at some point he needs to step up. Well, in the Louisville game, we saw so much more of Takori Couch and a lot less of DJ Ivy. I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, the coaches really tried to, to throw a bunch of praise on DJ Ivy after this game, but you go back and you look at the snap counts, he only played 33 snaps uh, compared uh, to a lot more action. I have it here somewhere. Uh, to Corey Couch, I think, was playing 58 snaps. Um, I think, you know, this is one of those interesting things where I think Al Blades is definitely the number one corner on this team where it's kind of like clear-cut established. But I think that number two corner spot, they want to sort of create a level of competition to see – who's better between Couch and Ivy. You know, I think we all sort of looked at Ivy as, well, he's going to be the slot corner guy. But this was a this was a game where I think the coaches wanted to see what Couch was really made of in terms of having to go out and cover somebody on the outside. He gave up um, five catches for 84 yards on six targets. Uh, I know that, you know, the coaching staff talked about how he was, he, he played well and they, and they liked the fact that he was hitting and, and that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, Miami's big issue is that they really don't have a clear-cut number two cornerback. And in today's college football world, you need a a second guy who can cover if you're going to play against really, really elite teams that have multiple weapons. And so um, I think, you know, that that's sort of like an audition is the way I look at it. It's kind of like they're continuing to sort of figure out, okay, who's better at this? Um, And so that's why Couch, I think, played a lot more than Ivy. Uh, The other interesting thing was Gervin Hall kind of got nicked up in that game um, you know, he was started 13 games. He was a top returning tackler from 2019, only played 25 snaps. Uh, Diaz said that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the guys were obviously nicked up. They're hoping that, that they'll be okay going into this week, but, uh, we should get an answer on that shortly. I know the zoom call starts around 1130. So shortly we may be getting some tweets and stuff coming out of that, but, um, all in all, Bubba Bolden, I thought played really well in the secondary. He was very good open field tackler, even though he texted Manny Diaz and was like, apologizing for poor play i thought bubba was solid and he really showed you what he was made of uh, as far as you know what you want at that position uh, amari carter had obviously a big hit i thought the secondary looked better at the safety position for miami than they did in the opener um but the cornerback position kind of remains you know again a little uneasy you know you shouldn't be giving up that much cushion underneath and as you mentioned when you play clemson and you play north carolina who obviously has a better quarterback and a better passing system with two you know 1000 yard receivers you're going to have you're going to be challenged and so that's something i think we're going to have to monitor all years who really emerges as that number 2 corner who's the guy who's counted on to cover the second best receiver um and and will this defense patch up some of the holes that they had in the running game the good news is as we transition to florida state uh, the Seminoles probably have one of their worst teams that I've seen in a long time. They don't really have a weapon in the backfield. One of their leading rushers, they have two guys that are sort of their leading rushers. Uh, one is the backup quarterback. The other one uh, is, is a running back who I think got 13 carries against Georgia Tech, ran for 39 yards. That Georgia Tech defense, by the way, gave up 660 yards and 49 points to UCF in a, in a blowout loss last weekend. 
I think this, I mean, and I just got off the phone with some of these guys that, that cover Florida State and know the program well. They've told me this is probably one of the least talented Florida State teams that they've seen in a while, especially the offensive side. Uh, the offensive line was a joke last year. Miami got seven sacks. Obviously, Greg Rousseau had a big day against them. Um, but Florida State only put up 203 yards against Miami's defense last year. Miami won the game 27-10. to 10. Jared Williams threw a couple touchdown passes. I, you know, the one concern they had was that the defensive line for Florida State, which is supposed to be their strength, really didn't have a great day against Georgia Tech. Uh, they weren't putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Jeff Sims sort of ate them up. Uh, Marvin Wilson, obviously, is a, a big-time player for them right there at defensive tackle. But they lost uh, Joshua Kane, though, the, the defensive lineman who... Uh, is a, was a former five-star recruit. He only played 18 snaps. Kando, I guess, has been off to the side and practice all week up in Tallahassee. Has not been practicing. They don't expect him to play. At least the writers don't. Um, so that's going to be a big loss for Florida State. They are going to get one of their their big-time safeties back. Um, Hamza Nazirildin, who uh, started a bunch of games last year, was one of their leading tacklers preseason All-ACC. They expect him to play this week against Miami. Uh, the secondary for Florida State has Asante Samuel Jr., St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, grad cornerback, had two interceptions against uh, against Georgia Tech, had also two pass breakups. Um, so they feel good about the secondary up there. They feel like, okay, th- there's some guys who can cover, and that could present challenges for Miami, which had drops at the receiver position again against uh, um, um, Louisville last weekend. So I think, uh, you know, if Miami's going to win this game um, – Comfortably, you're going to have to see the running game sort of reemerge a little bit here. Um, you know, you had the two long runs by Cam Harris against Louisville, but you, you know, you had a lot of one and two yard gains. You didn't have a lot of explosion. Um, the freshman running backs really didn't do much. Jalen Knight had the 75 yard touchdown catch, but all in all, uh, you didn't have much of a potent running game. So, I think defensively against Florida State. Um, Miami is going to have a much better day. You know, James Blackman is, is this is his fourth year at the school. Um, he played Miami as a freshman in 2017, threw for over 200 yards and I think two touchdowns and two picks in a, in a 24-20 Miami win. Um, he is not very good throwing the ball down the field, and part of it is his receivers are letting him down. But I, I put this stat in my story as well: three of 17 on passes 10 yards down the field or more against Georgia Tech. Now, again, they had a case of the drops, um, you know, and, and Florida State's offensive line is not very good. Um, they did pick up Devontae Love-Taylor, a transfer from FIU, who played well against Miami last year in FIU's upset of, of the Hurricanes. They expect him back to play in this game, even though he was dinged up against Georgia Tech. But still, this is not a very good uh, Florida State offensive line. They gave up 23 pressures to Georgia Tech. Um, a lot of it is James Blackman sort of hanging on to the football. And then, you know, as I mentioned, just the weapons really aren't great. Tamari and Terry is their best, uh, you know, receiver, 6'4", 210. Last year, Miami did a good job shutting him down. I mean, he had four catches for 40 yards, and, and he didn't really blow up this this week against Georgia Tech or, last, or two weeks ago against Georgia Tech. Six catches, 52 yards. So, look, Miami's an 11.5-point favorite. I think they're going to win this game pretty convincingly. But, again, it's a rivalry game. You never know. FIU, uh, FSU could come out, you know, like a caged animal, essentially, and, and just 
play on an entirely different level. But if I had to bet, I would put I would take Miami in the points this week because I really think that this could be a game that they crush Florida State. This could be a, a, a pretty what I've been told is this could be a pretty bad era for FSU football. This could be their Al Golden years, is what I've been told. So uh, it, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how Miami comes out and if they put their foot on on Florida State's uh, throat uh, for four quarters. Hey guys, I want to take a minute here to talk about The Athletic, and it's a great subscription that's available to you. Uh, for only a dollar a month, I'm serious, a dollar a month, you can get every sports story that matters at The Athletic. Uh, listen, I, I've, I've been a part of this organization now for two years covering sports, uh, entering my second season here, or my third season covering the Canes, but two years under my belt here, and I can tell you that The Athletic does excellent work. It's not just uh, coverage in South Florida. It's everywhere. I mean, we've got the entire world covered from soccer overseas to uh, the NBA to the NFL to Major League Baseball. A dollar a month. You're not going to beat that deal. Make sure you sign up. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now. Save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash wide right, you can receive an access subscription for just a dollar a month. Sports are back. You don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite team. So go to theathletic.com slash wide right. Receive an all-access subscription for just a dollar. We hope to see you there. Mike, any final thoughts? Anything on your mind? Uh, I think the only thing is I think we want to see a complete game against Florida State. Offense rolling, defense doing their job, and everybody come out saying, you know what, Miami's in a good spot right now, you know? Because I, I think it's safe to say that we're all expecting a win and a pretty convincing one at that. So would you agree that anything other than that would be concerning considering who the opponent is and where Florida State is at the moment? Yeah, I, I think the only thing, what I would say, I'd put an asterisk next to this and say, well, you can always get away with saying it's Florida State, right? You can always say this is a rivalry game. They got up for the game. They played their best game of the year. But you're right. I think the way that Miami's playing right now, the, the fact that you feel better about this team and the future that they have – I think this is the kind of game that if my, you know, you want to start saying the B word, right? Everybody wants to say the B word is Miami back. Um, I think the only way that you can use the B word is if you go out and you crush a bad Florida State team and then go out and represent yourself well in two weeks against Clemson. You may not win that game, but if you go into Clemson and you're in it for four quarters, I mean, how do you sort of say, hey, this thing isn't heading in the right direction, right? Because that's what this program is supposed to do. They're supposed to be playing in those games and playing at a high level. So, but, but there's a long way to get there, man. And, and I think Manny Diaz has sort of been cautious all week. You hear him talk, you hear him do his interviews. You know, he's, he said it, I'm not going to plant the flag and say, you know, that uh, this team is sort of completely turned the corner. He, he's being apprehensive, but there's a lot of positive signs. And, and I wrote about this in one of my stories this week for the athletic. I don't know if, how closely you watched the game on, on Saturday at Louisville, but Cam Harris scores that touchdown run. Wants nothing to do with the touchdown rings. Okay, no glitz, no glamour for him. After the game, Derek King, uh, you know, throws for 325 yards and three touchdowns. First thing out of his mouth is, "Yeah, we played good, but I can't wait to get back to practice on Sunday and make and, and fix some of the mistakes." You know, Bubba Bolden texting Manny Diaz, apologizing for his poor play after he leads the team in tackles. 
there is a hunger on this Miami Hurricanes football team that is different than what we've seen the last few years. I'm not saying it's national championship different. I'm not saying Miami is back. But certainly, you look at the behavior of some of these players. You know, they they, they ran 100. They ran uh, 11 110s um, as sort of punishment. The whole team did that together. Okay, it wasn't just the guys who, who, who made the penalties. There's sort of a camaraderie and a chemistry that's building here behind the scenes that... At the very least, you're saying, okay, I, I like the way this is cooking up. I like the way that many, I like the way they look sort of cooking on the, on the furnace. It's, it smells good. It, it looks like it's going to taste good, but I'm not ready to bite yet. I think you have to kind of have that mindset, uh, because this team did have that Uncle Larry syndrome. You know, they did. They've had that ingrained in them for several years where they win a couple games and then all of a sudden they start reading their own clips and they start, you know, Hey, we've made it. We're going to coast now. I think that's the number one thing Manny Diaz has to get out of the program this year. And I think right now, as you see them sort of marinating and cooking on the, on the furnace, it's beginning to smell and look like a different team. But they're going to have to prove it on Saturday against Florida State. And I think winning that game by two, three touchdowns and really dominating, and like you said, playing four quarters, Mike Zimmerman, I think that's when we're going to know, hey, this thing really might be headed in the right direction. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Wide Right. We're going to have a special bonus episode coming later this week. I don't want to give away any of the details just yet, but I remember attending a certain game in 2000. Great football game at the Orange Bowl. Probably the greatest game I've ever attended in person. We may have a few special guests to talk about that game. But speaking of special guests, coming up next, we got a hold of him, ladies and gentlemen. You've been asking for him, Raul. Hi, Aaliyah. Left me this message. Actually got my cell phone number. Left me this message on my cell phone. I had to play it for you. He's fired up about Kane's football. Raul, hi, Aaliyah. Manny, it's your boy Raul. I'm back, my friend. I've been on a hiatus. Uh, no hiatus. A hiatus because I have the hemorrhoids. So I had to have my culito up in the air. Uh, resting while I put the preparation H and let it do its work. But anyway, that's besides the point, Manny. I'm back. The Canes are back in action, even though we've had to deal with COVID-19. It feels like it's been 19 years since the Canes been on the field, baby. But look at the results. It's like we have gone back in time with Doug Brown and the DeLorean and Marty, and we're going 88 miles an hour. We took it back to the early 90s, baby. 2-0, slapping things around. Cogimo the UAB Dragones, and we dragged them through the mud. I can't believe a team with a dragon was so, so soft. They didn't spit fire from their mouths. They were spitting charming. Charmin from the mouse money. And now we got them, we beat them up, and we were running like thoroughbreds money. And I'm talking about with the three running backs. They were running like there were three thoroughbreds at the Hialeah race track, which I know something about. I place the occasional wager every now and then at the race track. So I know what thoroughbreds look like. Cam Harris es un tanque, mi hermano. Like a guy runs over everybody. He runs by people. Don Cheney Jr., a tipo ese blows people up like Dick Cheney on a hunting trip. The rooster, El Gallo, Jalen Knighting. Ese tipo, sí, no pica lo que come el pollo, mi hermano. That guy's on the ball. He's fast like a bullet, Manny. He's faster than a speeding train. He is the flash. The uh, Eric, the king, what can you say? I am down with the king, down with the king. He takes me back to the days of Ron DNC, Manny. Every time the Eric King throws a touchdown or scores one, they should have a mariachi band on the side playing a rey. Yo soy el rey. Please, we need that, okay? Brevin Jordan. He's like a freight train. Did you see that jump over the guy against Louisville? He made that guy look like he had fallen in to uh, platform nine and three quarters and he was going to Hogwarts, Manny. He disappeared. 
he disappeared off the screen. It was crazy, man. The defense, though, Manny, I'm a little concerned with the defense. They need to get a little tougher. They're looking a little soft. But oh, Amari Carter is out there burying people like the Undertaker. I cannot believe this guy. He is tagging people, Manny. tagging. Y el otro que está entero is Bubba Bolden. Bubba Bolden is golden. Ese tipo is flying around like a miso, making tacos everywhere. He reminds me of my wife on the days of our sales at one month. And back in the days, if you remember this, Saide. You remember Saide? Man, she used to love the sales at Saide. She would die for the sales. It's like a Black Friday every time Bubba Bolden is on the field, man. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay? Now, we have the Florida State Seminoles. Estos tipos. It's very fitting, money. The Mike Norvell, their head coach, has got the COVID-19s. Porque ese equipo está purillo. They are horrible, money. They are sick. They look horrible. They look terrible. They got beat up by a Georgia Tech team. They gave up 9,000 yards to United States Central Florida Academy of the Arts. Okay? These people are terrible. I expect Chief Osceola to not even come in on a horse anymore. He's going to come in on one of those little scooters, one of those little things the old people juice uh, to get around. You know what I'm talking about? A rascal, one of those rascals. He's not even going to bring in the horse anymore, money. He's going to have a walker. He's going to bury the walker at the Fiji line. That's how bad it is. Chief Osceola. Chief Osceola. It is what it's going to be called after this game, my friend. Oi, the games are going 3-0. and We're going to slap up the Seminoles, and I cannot wait to go 4-0 over the last four years. Good to see you, Manny. Voy a estar culito ahora. We're going to get uh, healthy and get ready for the game on Saturday. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the show. We will talk to you soon. Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami. Surge, surge.